0: Well, we are starting a brand new collection of talks, of teachings, it's a series we're calling The Forest in the Seed, and it's really gonna be all about finding fruitfulness in our lives, finding abundance in our lives, and how we do that. But specifically, over these next four weeks, we're gonna kind of zoom out, and we're not just gonna talk about it as individuals, but we're gonna kind of dive into this topic for us as a church. And what I want to do in this, I'm gonna start a new tradition, congratulations, it's gonna be so fun, uh, this time every year, I just wanna kind of, pause and have a bit of a family talk. And now, if you're not part of the family, you can be part of the family as of today. Otherwise, this I don't know, it's not going to be awkward, but has anybody ever been like at your friend's house when a family talk happened? It's a little awkward, but you, hopefully you'll fit right in. But for the next four weeks, we're just going to talk about life and, and cultivating a rich and full life, not just for us, but in the life of King's Church and what God might want to do moving forward. And this is going to culminate in, in four weeks. On December 1st, we're going to take a year-end offering and we're going to take a year-end commitment offering. And this is going to be, for some of you, a financial offering. For some of you, it's going to be an offering of time to say, I need to start contributing to this mission here at King's Church. And my goal over these next four weeks, as we look at and we talk about fruitfulness and how to get fruitful in our own lives, my goal is to take some of you who have been spectators at King's Church to move you from spectatorship, if that's a word, to ownership, where you're going to say, you know what, this is my church, my kids are benefiting here, I'm benefiting here and I'm going to feed what I'm going to I'm going to water what feeds me. And then I'm going to ask some of you that are already taking ownership, we're going to talk about stewardship and how you can actually grow and cultivate a life of blessing. And I'm going to talk about that in the coming weeks. And then I'm going to ask some of you who are already already kind of uh, exploring and living a life of stewardship to move from stewardship to partnership. We're going to talk about just investing and seeing what God could do if we were sacrificial. And so over these next four weeks, it's going to be a lot of fun. And you have a guide that should be on your, on your, uh, on your chair. This is something I want you to just take home and just begin to pray about. I don't want you to fill it out yet. This is something we bring back in four weeks time. And we're going to just kind of go before the Lord and ask God, how do you want me to cultivate my life and where do you want me to sow seed? And so we're going to talk about that over the coming weeks, but I just want you to tuck this away and keep this for the next few weeks. It's going to be a very rich and rewarding season, I am believing. But really the the big idea about this series is going to be asking the question this, how do we live the good life? How do we live the good life? How do we get the most out of this one life? We all know we've got this life to live and we really, what we do with it is gonna determine the, the level of fruit that we get. And so this is the question I believe that all of us are asking. Whether we ask it explicitly or not, or whether we even know we're asking it, we're actually asking the question and doing our best to answer it day by day. How do we live the good life? Now, a lot of the time, you and I don't think about it explicitly. Maybe you think about it explicitly if you have a near-death experience, you almost fell asleep behind the wheel or something happened to one of your family members and all of a sudden that question kind of comes at you, it's forced upon you. Maybe the place where you think about life and the life that you're living the most is at a funeral, isn't it? Isn't that the time that you and I end up thinking about, yeah, you know what, a life is laid bare before us and you really get to wrestle with what this person did with their one life when when they are there. And, you know, for, for me, I've been to more funerals than any human being should ever have to go to. Uh, I've been to a lot, a lot of funerals. I, I go to funerals like dentists do, do, do fillings, right? It's my job. It's my career. And so I've been to a lot of funerals. Light, lighten up. I'm not going to, like, it's getting heavy in here. I've been to a lot of funerals, I've been, and they run the gamut. I, I've seen every type of funeral. I've seen weird funerals that, like, are, like, talking about crystals and uh, crazy new agey stuff and the spirits and the elements, and I don't even know what you're smoking, but anyway... I've been, to, I've been to funny funerals. Anybody have been to just a funeral that was just quirky and funny? Uh, it's just funny, like, I didn't even, like we almost forgot that somebody died. It was just so much comic relief. It was funny. Anybody see, I, I was gonna play it, but uh, there's too much colorful language. There was a video that circulated online a few weeks ago of this Irish family. Uh, go look it up. I, I, I can't condone the language, but it is very funny. Uh, there's this Irish family and this grandfather, the grandfather died. And he played a prank on his family uh, from the grave. He had someone at the, funeral, at the funeral home, like, participate. And when they were lowering, they're around the grave. And when they're lowering his casket into the ground, you start hearing this. Hey, let me out. It's dark in here. He's like this. I was like a Scottish accent, wasn't it? But you know what? Bear with me. And he's like, it's dark in here. It's hilarious. And they're all like looking around. They're all getting freaked out. It was just funny. It was, it was just comedic. But maybe you've been to a funeral that was quirky and funny. I've been to funerals that were very heavy and very sad, very hard to deal with. The funerals that were unjust, maybe someone who died unfairly or, or just too soon. Those ones are, are, are often the hardest. I've been to funerals, though, that were just, I would, I would describe them as weak. Maybe the better word is shallow that really there wasn't a whole lot to say. And so you find a few things when there's not a lot to say about a life, but when it's laid bare before us at a funeral, you'll find a few things. There's, there's one thing that people do, you get into this kind of revisionist history thing. Has anybody ever noticed, everybody at a funeral where like you wonder if we're talking about the same person? Have you ever like, yeah, like we're all of a sudden, like this person just turned into a saint now that they die. Like what, this guy was a jerk, right? <laughs> You're like, does the pastor think of this at every, every funeral? <laughs> no, but you ever been to one where like, like revisionist history because there's not really all that much good to talk about because really they, did, they weren't good. They didn't live a good life. And now here we are as the family and friends and extended family trying to figure out, well, what do you say about this jerk? Right? Can you say that? You can not at the funeral, but y'all have thought it. Don't judge me or I've been to some funerals that were just full on heresy all of a sudden we're starting to like make things up about the afterlife like to make us feel better well I know so and so if anybody deserves to be with the big guy and the man upstairs they got their wings grandma flew up to heaven today I know that because there's a rainbow and the sun shining what when did you become theologians And where did you find that in your Bible? Just, just, here's here's a fun fact. For anybody who tells you, like, that you get your wings when you die, it's not in here. In fact, we don't even know that angels have wings in the Bible. Anyway, you can just keep that. There's cherubim and seraphs that have wings, but there's nothing else about any other angels having wings or fluttering around. Look, heaven is not what the Philadelphia cream cheese tells you it is, okay? (laughs) But I've also been to funerals that, we were downright poetic, that you, you didn't even have to say anything. Their life preached the sermon, that who they were, everybody knew it. It, it needed no explanation. It's just, as it was laid before us, you, you could just see this person, li- this is a life well lived and it becomes evident in that moment. Have you ever been to one of those funerals? It's just, it, it's actually hard to stop talking about them. You almost have to like pump the brakes and say, well, I guess we're done here. We need to go home. The, the cream cheese sandwiches, the cherry cheese sandwiches are getting cold. So we need to, we need to, yeah. Like there are some funerals that are so powerful that their history just speaks for itself. And, and I've found this to be true. And as I've thought about this, I realized something that not all funerals are equal, are they? They're not. And there's a reason for that because not all lives are equal. They're just not. Now, if you were here last month, we did a whole series about that you were made and we talked about how everybody's made in the image of God and we believe that every, every human being carries innate equal value. Can I get an amen? But what you do with that value God gave you with this life, that varies widely. And you see how a person stewards their life most clearly often at a funeral. Most clearly with what they left behind them after they died. There's some people, and I suspect you know them. You may have family members like this. There's some people that when they pass on, they're still there. That what they established in their life still speaks. It still has a presence. It still carries a weight. We know this, that it's possible to live a life that is so fruitful that it actually outlives you. That's the question we want to ask over these next few weeks is how do we live a life that benefits us, that we experience health, but it grows beyond us and it blesses others and it even builds a lasting legacy? What leads to the good life? The, the reason I, I, I got thinking about this, it, it's Genesis. The Genesis of this series goes back to the spring when my family said goodbye to my grandmother. She, she passed on at uh, 90 years old. And she was a wonderful woman, and she, this was one of those, those, those lives that just spoke for itself. I had the privilege of preaching at her funeral. You talk about a great privilege of life to be able to, to get up and give some scriptural thoughts and to speak the word of God at your grandmother's funeral. But I'll tell you what, it was easy. Some people are asking me, is this going to be hard for you? No, it's easy. I mean, she gave me A-type a, a content. This is, this is going to be super, this preaches itself. But I got thinking about it, you know, at these funerals, we get thinking a lot about the, we get talking a lot about the fruit of a person's life, but maybe it would behoove us, it would be helpful for us to actually like back up and look at what goes into a life that makes that happen. What is the process that builds a life? What is the key to a life of fruitfulness? To do this, I want to do a little Bible study this morning. Y'all ready for that? I want to do a little Bible study, and if you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 1. And Psalm 1 is, well, obviously the first psalm in in the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, there you go, we're learning stuff. But really, it's more than just the first psalm, it's there on purpose. And, And most theologians and scholars say that the reason it's there is because it's supposed to be what's called a centering psalm. And what it is, is it's basically like the, the framework. It's the, it's the backdrop. It's the rebar. It's the foundation for the rest of the book. And in fact, it, it, this is a centering psalm that is to be a foundation for life. That in, in these six small verses of this poem really carries the secret of how to live a life that bears fruit, that goes beyond its own life, but is even able to bless others and that it's able to endure. And it's encoded right here in this scripture. If there was ever a scripture to memorize, this is one of them. And I want to encourage us. We're just going to take a little dive in this morning. And today my task is this. I just want, based on this psalm, to give us some framework to think about our lives We're not going to go much further than that today. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I just want to give you a lens to look at your life because that's really what the psalmist is doing here is giving us a lens to look at our lives. So let's read it and let's just see if we can't find some themes and some things to pull away from. It says this, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. And the word blessed here, uh, some, some translations say How happy. Uh, Another one says, oh, the joy. Oh, uh uh-oh. Blessed, how happy is the man. How joyful. Isn't that what we all want? How joyful is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So walks not, talking about ideas, counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, talking about actions, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, talking about attitudes of the heart, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And the word law is the word logos, which means word. It's the same word that we use all through the Bible and really talks about the word or the way, the truth of God. His delight, the blessed man, doesn't go this way, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it or ingests it. Actually, I love this. This word meditates. We're diving deep already. This word meditates, it actually, in the Hebrew, it means like murmur. It means like choose on. You ever stood around somebody who like talks to themselves under their breath? It's really weird, just saying. If you do that, please stop. But, but really, that's, that's what this is getting at. It's like the person who's just, who's just like... meditating meditating on the law of the Lord. It's like this murmurs. It's in his mouth all the time. That's what this meditates day and night. He never takes it. It's this idea of his life being fulfilled and filled by the word of God. So that's the picture you got. He contrasts these two people. There's this blessed man, and then he doesn't walk in the ways of sinners or the way of sinners. There's blessing and sin is what he's talking about. Now here, here he gets into the description. You ready? He... Is like a, say it. Yeah, he's like a tree. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. That is a big statement. The one who meditates on the law of God. Like you and I, when we think about law, we don't think of that as something like fun. I just just stay up all night thinking about the law of God. Oh man, God's laws. Tell me the 10 commandments again. That's not what he's talking about. He's meditating on the truth of God's word. He is like one who is planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. And now he he compares that. Whoops. He compares that. with this. But the wicked are not so. They are like, say this word, chaff. chaff. They're like chaff. This is the picture he starts to paint. So the, the, the good life is like a tree, but the wicked life is like chaff that the wind drives away. Think about that picture: the wind driving away, just whoosh. therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will yeah, will perish. Now this is a huge, huge thing to unpack. In it, he, he highlights just the, the, the differences of life, and he does it because he says he gives us two pictures. The good life is like a tree he says, and the wicked are like chaff. And he gives us some things to think about with the good life. He tells us that the one who meditates on God's law day and night is like the one who is planted by streams of, of water. It's, it tells us that he bears his fruit in his season. So there's this picture of fruitfulness. I'm sorry, my writing is no better on this than it is on the other thing. He's fruitful. It produces fruit. What does it mean to produce fruit? Well, producing fruit means that you're not only receiving enough for yourself, but fruit actually is overflow of health, isn't it? Fruit is the overflow of health, that you are receiving enough sustenance and life that you're producing life that benefits and blesses others. That's the picture of this tree. It's a fruitful tree. It also tells us that this tree, uh, it... it um, Its leaf does not wither, that's an important thing. What is it getting at telling us that its leaf doesn't wither? Well, we should know this, it's winter. This is an evergreen, baby. This is an all seasons type leaf. This is a, I live through the winter, I live through the spring, I live through the summer, I live through the fall. Whether it's night, whether it's day, whether it's windy, whether it's hot, whether it's hail, whether it's sleet, whether it's snow, I'm still here. It's this idea of being enduring. Immovable, unshakable, unflappable. This is what the good life looks like. You're fruitful, prosperous in all you do, enduring and rooted, not moved around by the shifting changes of culture, the times of your life, the, the, the seasons of your life, that in every season your leaf does not wither. What a beautiful picture. You ever feel like sometimes your leaves are withering in certain seasons? doesn't have to be that way. The good life's like one who's fruitful. This leaf does not wither. And then it tells us at the end when it's contrasting the wicked. What was the other thing? I want to make sure we get this so we have this contrast before we move forward. It tells us that the wicked will not stand in the judgment, but the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, which is what? It's a picture of eternity. This tree is everlasting. This is the promise of the afterlife. This is a promise of you will stand in the judgment that when time ceases... When God calls to account all things, the one who meditates on God's law day and night, he is like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaf does not wither, who bears fruit in its season, and he will stand in the judgment. But then we get this picture of the wicked. And it tells us that the wicked are like chaff. Now, what is chaff? Chaff. Chaff is best understood, uh, like it's like um, for, for us, most of us don't handle grain, but grain has like a husk around it. And chaff is basically the casing around the seed. Uh, maybe for, for us, we, we're more familiar with like corn, corn on the cob. Well, really, the, the, the husk, is a, it's called a husk. That's chaff. It's, it's, the, it's the waste product. It's the stuff that there is no use for, for the seed. That's what chaff is. And he's saying the wicked is like chaff. What's he getting at? Well, one, it's not fruitful. It's not fruitful. That says fruitful. Um, <laughs> what he means by being chaff is your life didn't go any farther than itself. It was a seed that never produced anything. It came and it went. It was here and it was gone. It was movable. It tells us that it blows away with the wind. Didn't he say that? And then he said it won't stand in judgment and it it perishes. That's the two lives that the psalmist contrasts. And now to understand this picture that he's painting... And this isn't some thesis on heaven and hell, and whether it's, you know, when we talk about judgment, is it eternal conscious torment, or is it, uh, you know, how does it all work? That's not really what he's getting into. What he wants you to, talk, to think about is that there is a way to live your life that is rooted, fruitful, everlasting, faithful, and enduring, and there is a way to live your life, and there's a way to think your thoughts, there's a way to have act, um, your, your propensities of the heart that leads to Disintegration. That's really the word here. It's a nerdy word, I get it, but, but bear with me. This idea of disintegration that, that never bore fruit, never, it was just this waste product that just, the, the best thing I was thinking about any any of any Marvel fans, I, I was thinking about it like like the, the picture the psalmist is painting is like Thanos at the end of in Avengers Endgame. Oh, did I just spoil Endgame? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm not really that sorry. If you haven't seen it yet, that's your, I was waiting until it came out on Netflix. Pay the six bucks. Watch it. Iron Man dies too. Oh! (laughs) If if you have complaints, dell.hiney at kingschurch.cc he will get right back to you. But this is the picture. This is the picture of the psalmist, that your life just, it was here, and then in the end, it just, whew, it's gone, it's gone. I just lost like 10 dudes who are waiting for, waiting for Avengers. And so here's the question I want to ask. And this is what the psalmist wants us to ask is, what is the difference? Like, which one am I? Am I, the, am I the one who's living the good life or am I the wicked? And now most of us wouldn't be so presumptuous to say, well, clearly, I am the one who meditates on the law of the Lord day and night and it never, never leaves my lips. The meditations of my thoughts and the, and the leanings of my heart are pure and pleasing to God. And most of us aren't like, okay, I'm obviously not perfect. But most of us wouldn't think of ourselves as wicked. But really what the scripture is talking about, about being wicked, it's not just that you have maybe you've done bad things. It's really about the way that you're aiming your life. Like the word wicked in in the scripture here is the word Rasha, and it's the same word for sin. And what sin means, again, we think about sin and wickedness about like you did something bad or wicked is about being sinister, you know, (laughs) you're wicked, right? Like that's not what the Hebrew is talking about here. It's talking about this way of life that leads to destruction. It's to miss The mark. That's literally what sin, the word sin translates as missing the mark. You aimed at something and you missed. And in the end, it just went off into nothing. That's what the psalmist is getting at. It's this idea of disintegration. For those of you who have never seen Avengers or Marvel or any of that, you don't care. But what's happening here is he just like turns to this weird dust matter. And I'm not saying that's what happens in your life, nor is a psalmist. This is a metaphor. But anyway, stay with me. So here's the question. And here's the good news. The psalmist doesn't leave us out high and dry, but he actually gives us the keys to living the good life, that you can either live the life that is integrated or disintegrated, that is lasting or perishing, that is fruitful or it's chaff. You can live both. And he gives us the secret to both of these things. Let's look a little closer. Here's a couple ideas I want to give us on how to formulate your life that brings real, lasting life and fruit. Are we good? Are we ready? All right, good. So here, here's the first idea. The first thought is this, that the good life is found in the seed. That when we get thinking about living the good life, when we think about a life that flourishes, a life that, like we're saying in this series, that, that, bless, that benefits me, I'm healthy, that blesses others and builds a lasting legacy, a life that leads to fruit, well, fruit originally came in what form? Seed. Yes. Before there was a fruit, there was a tree. Before there was a tree, there was a? Seed. Yes. And this is what the psalmist is getting at. Notice, it says, he is like a tree planted. Before a tree is a tree, it was a seed. And this is a principle of life that you and I have got to, ha- got to get in our minds and our hearts to understand. That, that, that life comes from the inside out that real life and the real substance of life is something that grows from the inside out now for we know this is true in nature we know where babies come from right yeah. okay good we don't need to go through that again today we, we know how, how plants multiply. We know, and it says it in Genesis. If we had time to do a study, we could go to Genesis 1 and 2, and it, it says, like God says, every, every plant and seed-bearing, every seed-bearing plant will reproduce according to its kind. That God put the potential of new life inside of living things. That's how life works. It's how humans multiply. It's how animals multiply. That seed, when it is germinated, when it is fertilized, actually can create new life. Correct? We hanging? Now here's the crazy thing a lot of us do we make the mistake. We exempt ourselves from this pattern and principle. And we convince ourselves that life is not found as something that grows or stems up or sprouts up from within, but life is something I've got to obtain from the outside. That if I'm going to feel like I flourish, if I'm going to prosper, I need to get this. If I'm going to feel like I'm satisfied, I need to obtain this. And we convince ourselves that life is found in what I can obtain instead of what is grown. But that's chaff living. That's chaff living. That's one and done. It's it's living for fruit and missing the process to produce it. God created things with potential. You need to understand that. And when God sets up to do something in your life, he's not trying to bring something into your life. Get this, he's trying to bring something out of it. Get that in your spirit and in your mind. Listen, the mother that you want to be, God already put in you. The father that you want to be, there is a father inside of you. The father that your kids need and you know your kids need, here's the good news. God put that in you. You don't need somebody to come in and, and to do it for you. God put it in you. Look, read the, read the Bible. Every time God does something amazing, he plants somebody. He develops it out of somebody. Like, think about Abraham. Remember, remember Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. And so are you. So let's just, don't, don't encourage that. But what, what happened to Abraham? God shows up to Abraham and says, you are the father of many nations. And Abram says, who, me? I'm 90 and we have no kids But God had already deposited something inside of him. And he says, I will make you father of many nations. And Abraham, if we had time, we'd even look at it. He made the mistake of of laying with his servant and trying to do it his way and to to do it from without. But when God does something, when God brings life where there is no life, he does it from the inside out. And So I want to just speak to the potential in some of you today. Look, there is a great man of God in there. There's a great woman of God in there. God's put families inside of us. God has put legacies inside of us. God has put generations inside of us. You are a seed that can produce a tree, a life that can produce fruit, that can produce more more seed, that can produce more trees. There is a forest inside every seed. And it's inside of you. And let me just call that out for a minute. Like What God is trying to do is not bring something into your life as much as he is trying to bring something out of it. He's trying to develop us. And we need to understand that if we're ever going to experience the life. This is what the psalmist is getting at. That, he, that life is lived as we are planted and it grows from us. Can anybody testify that? That like the real life stuff, of like the things I celebrate about life, my family, the good things about my character... The joys of my life, they're all things that have burst out from within, aren't they? Even literally, your children came from within. That's how life works. If God's going to bring transformation in your life, he's going to do it from the inside out, not the outside in. If God is going to bring restoration and freedom and liberty and all the stuff that you and I want, if he's going to bring prosperity, he's going to do it from the inside out. Look, winning the lottery will not make you prosperous. Hear this. Prosperity has nothing to do with how much you get your hands on. Prosperity has to do with how much health God has in you coming out. That's prosperity. And it has implications in all parts of your life. But you've got to understand something. That if you're going to live the good life, that it begins inside of you. It's inviting the seed of God's word. That's what he meant. It he meditates on his law day and night. I've got to hurry. So think about this. It's found in the seed. Say, it's in me. It's in me. The good life is in you. The good life is in you. I'm not going to give you some book to buy. I'm not going to give you some life hack or 10 step thing to, to do. Look, God wants to water the seed that He put in you to grow new life. That's what He does. Here's my second thought. Oh, here's, here's one that Jesus' has thought. Let's look at this. Very truly, I tell you, John chapter 12, very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed that's chaff living. But if it dies or if it's planted, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. What's he talking about? He's saying the way to life is by realizing that a seed planted can grow new fruit. It's a huge, huge principle. Here's the second thought thinking about Psalm 1 again. The good life isn't isn't just found in seed form, but it's formed in the soil. It's formed in the soil. How many of you know that good things don't grow overnight? Yeah? Can we talk? We good? Yeah, so not only is it about, not only is the good life about germination, but it's also about cultivation. That this is something that you have to curate, you have to cultivate, you have to actually tend. I love the picture the psalmist paints that it's, he's like a tree planted, that there's a space and a place carved out where it's tended. The soil has been tended. The stream has been cleared. This this idea of agriculture. Now you and I, we, we live in the 21st century. We, we, Don't think agriculture a lot unless you're involved in some type of farming. Most of us are so far removed from the production of the food that we ingest and the products that we enjoy that we don't think about agriculture at all. But there was a time where human beings were hunter-gatherers, where we went where the food was. We would find animals or or plants, and we'd just go and find it. And then human beings as a society developed, we figured out how to do agriculture, how to actually cultivate food and cultivate produce. But now we live in a time where you are so far removed, like we're so far removed from being able to actually cultivate our own food. Now some of you have gardens, that's cute, but the, you don't live off that, except for like you four homesteaders who, who like, okay, you win. But the rest of us, we, we're the people that we go online and we click our groceries and we show up at Superstore and someone literally comes out and puts them in your trunk for you. That's how involved you are. Are we not the softest humans that have ever lived? Did anybody find that like last week when the power went out? Power's out for four hours and I had the generator and Wi-Fi going. True story. It's pathetic. It's really pathetic. I was, like, I was thinking, you know what? If this is the apocalypse, we're toast. Like, I, 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 now I have, a, I have a contingency plan. I have a whole team and I'm going to be their spiritual advisor because I have nothing else to contribute on the team. Just saying. But... But the good life is formed in the soil, and here's the mistake we make in life. We think that life is connected to what we collect, what we can accumulate, but life is actually connected to what we cultivate, to what we create, to what we tend This is the difference between the good life. This is the difference between the life the psalmist is talking about—the tree planted by streams of water, who grows up, who cultivates it, who who deals with the soil, who makes sure that it's good ground, that good seed is in good soil. Because here's the thing: good seed and good soil produces good fruit. That's how it works, and that's what I've seen in my life. That's what I've seen. This is what really made me think about this whole series, is because I got I got preparing to preach my grandmother's funeral. I said, we we don't just need to look at the fruit of her life, but we need to go back and look what went into getting it and take that to heart and see the seed that was sown in good soil and was tended for decades. To see the small little seeds of obedience and seeds of faithfulness, and seeds of generosity, and seeds of being steadfast, and seeds of hanging on even when it looked crazy, seeds of trust, seeds of cultivating her household. Listen, my grandmother was diligent. She like, you know, we we say things like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. My grandmother did it. And the fruit of her life shows now, there were times you might even argue she was a little legalistic about it, like she was a little hardcore. Like I remember one time, me and my cousins were in her cottage and there's probably like 15 of us easily, just packed in this tiny little cottage. And we put this movie on, because Grammy was gone, our parents were gone. And so we put this movie on Shallow Howl. Anybody ever see Shallow Howl? It's a Jack Black movie. It's, it's mildly inappropriate, but we, we were watching it. And it, as, as bad things go, like it's not that bad, And we're watching the movie, and doesn't my dear old grandmother come back from church, uh, evening service, right about the time where there's like that one racy scene, you know, and she walks in, and there's like 15 teenagers in in her living room, and she walks in and sees this scantily clad woman on her TV. Oh, man, you should have seen the eyes of fire. She just lit up, and she ran over in front of that TV, and she stood in front of it, and she says, not in my house. She says, you brats, get out of here. She starts shooing us out. And and me and my cousin are trying to like save face in front of our friends. We're like, Grammy, you don't know. It's not that bad of a movie. This is the one scene in my Grammy's like, I'm no dummy and I know what I saw, get out. (laughs) And I've thought about that since then. I was like, oh my goodness. I've thought about that though. And I was like, you know what? Maybe she was a little, she was a little too like too tight. But maybe I think like, We're too loose in what we let in. Maybe the reason a lot of us don't have, like, a lot of fruit showing up in our lives is because we just let any old seed in our minds. We let any old seed in our heart. We let any old seed in the soil of a house. Like, you know, say what you want about her methods in cultivation. Like, she has a family. She has a family of men and women who love the Lord and are raising their houses in fear of God and seeing the same fruit reproduce. Because here's what God wants to do. He wants to raise your life in a way that actually multiplies into generations. God's a God of generations, did you know that? God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and one seed into another and good seed into the next generation produces and reproduces. And that's what God is interested in for your life. But here's the deal, you've got to cultivate it. You've actually got to cultivate it. You need to learn the fact that simple faithfulness is what brings fruitfulness. And and here's the thing, it's not flash in the pan. You know, I've been trying to like, I don't care what Instagram tells you or Facebook tells you or commercials tell you, the good life will not come by buying a certain car or getting Facebook likes. That's not what brings the good life. The good life, it comes by simple acts of faithfulness. I'm telling you it does. I had the privilege uh, back in January to to have supper with one of my heroes, uh, the author John Maxwell, and I got to have supper and just pick his brain. And so here we are, here's this man, he's, I think he's like 70 years old. And, I, and like he's done, he's like just a huge, just done so much. And I, so I'm just picking his brain. I said, I asked him this question. I said, if you, what would you tell the 36-year-old you? He'd say, I would say, don't give too much credibility to the things that kind of just Flash in the pan seem like they're, they really matter, and the things that kind of come out of nowhere, and, and the, the things that people want to maybe give adulation to. Don't don't give too much credence to that. He said. He said I would tell myself, don't underestimate what a lifetime of faithfulness can do. Don't think that it's going to come in one moment, but don't underestimate. Like he, you know, he said we overestimate what can happen in ten years and underestimate what can happen in thirty. Think about a life of faithfulness. It's about cultivation. It's about cultivation. Here's, here's the third thought, and we'll, and we'll be done for today, and I'm gonna pray for you. The third thought I was thinking about as it pertains to the psalm, and we'll do that verse next week. The good life is fueled by the source. I think it's super important that we don't miss the critical line in this whole psalm. It says that he is like a tree planted by... The word by here actually can translate as in or on. Planted by or on or in streams of water. What's that talking about? It's talking about the source. How many of you know that in order for something to live, it needs a living source? It actually needs the flow of a source into it that living things can't live on their own, but there needs to be a source of life flowing into it. I have like six dead plants in my office, I can prove it. (laughs) <laughs> you, you, need, you need streams of water. I even have a bonsai that's not doing too well right now. You, you need streams of water. You need a source. You need a source. And that's what this is, this is kind of getting at for us, that, that the good life is actually fueled by the source. I was thinking about irrigation, how it's not just about planting yourself in any old soil. It's planting yourself in soil that has the flow of life. That's what brings real life. That's what brings real life. Look, here's the thing, and here's maybe the most hard-hitting thing I want to say for you today. You are sowing seed, the seed of your life, and planting the seed of your life in soil. You just are. The question is, is it good soil that brings life? And what is the source that is flowing into that soil and into that seed? See, this to me is a picture of the gospel. I got thinking about the tree and I got thinking about the, the living water. I got thinking about the tree, the tree and the seed and the planted by living water. I got thinking about Jesus, how the Bible says that, that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. How he's the seed of Abraham. How how God conceived, the Holy Spirit conceived the seed of God in the womb of Mary. He spoke and germinated and and the the seed of Jesus was conceived inside of her. And he grew and for 30 years and then ministered and sowed the seeds of the kingdom all over the region and taught the truth. And then the Bible says that he himself hung on the tree. The tree planted in the ground for all of us. And they, the Bible says that, that they, after Jesus gave up his last breath and said, it is finished, the, the, the centurion stabbed him in the side. And the Bible says, blood and water poured out. Streams of living water. And then on the third day, he rose again. Where? In the garden. I love it. The, the, the picture, and the, I wish we could have time to really unpack this, but... The picture is this, Jesus is the tree, Jesus is the seed, Jesus is the fruit, Jesus is the root, Jesus is the stream, and the invitation for us is to plant our entire lives in him and unto him, and that when you do that, you are planting yourself in that which is life that brings life. To plant yourself in Jesus, to give yourself to Jesus, to put your trust in Jesus is to put your trust in the flow of mercy, the flow of provision, the flow of love, the flow of acceptance, the flow of identity, the flow of forgiveness, the flow of eternity, the flow of glory. It's all in him. This is why Jesus said this. this is, let's, let's end with this great promise. Jesus says, I'm, like, I'm the vine. I'm the living thing you are branches and if you remain in me that is the question of life what does it look like to remain in him we're going to talk about that for the coming weeks if you remain in me and i in you the stream you will bear say it much fruit not just a little bit of fruit i'm not talking the like like my tomato plant a couple years ago with like one tomato much fruit As you can tell, I'm not a great gardener. I'm working on my life, people, all right? Look what he says. This is is the critical part. Apart from me, you can do nothing. There are patches of soil that look like they may produce fruit, but in the end will not produce fruit. It is only in him that is real, lasting fruit. The rest is just chaff. And let me just say this to some of you because I've been thinking about it for myself. I wouldn't say anything to you that I wouldn't say to myself. There are likely some areas that you are investing way too much seed of time and money and intentionality into that in the end, it's just gonna... Like for the 0.001% of you that actually have a kid that's gonna go to the NHL. Really? Really? How much seed are you putting in? Was that too hard-hitting? Like, let's be real for a minute. Amen. Or ballet or whatever the stuff is with your kids, with your life. Like, like it's, we're not even talking about bad things. We're talking about good things. The question, though, is are they life things? What are you doing with the seed that you've been given and the seed that you are? It remained in me that you are like a branch. Here it is. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch. There it is, chaff that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, and there it is, there's that word again, my words. He is like a man who meditates on his law day and night. If my words remain, murmurs in his mouth, in his mind, in his ways. If it remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why, why can you ask whatever you wish? Because your mind has been, re- your mind has been renewed. Your ways have been renewed. Your, the posture of your heart has been renewed. That's what Jesus wants to do. It's about transformation. It's about complete transformation. I want to pray for you in just a minute, but here's, I, just, I just really want, this isn't to shame anybody. Here's the deal. What we're talking about here isn't the difference necessarily between you going to heaven when you die or not. What gets you to heaven? Cling to the tree of life. That's it. It doesn't matter what you did with your life. It doesn't matter. Like, and some of, honestly, some of the coolest funerals I've been to have been the ones where like, dude, literally last night said, I have been a wretch. I've done it wrong. Jesus, I need you. Forgive me and save me. Those have been pretty cool, too, to know that you walk in with all the rights and privileges of God. Like, that's the good news of the gospel. You get into heaven not by what you did, but by what he did. So this is not about getting to heaven. This is about God's desire to get heaven flowing into you and flowing through you and flowing into others and flowing into your children Bringing generations of heavenly people and and creating heavenly churches. This is about getting more of heaven in the King's Church so that there's more of heaven in St. John and more of heaven in Halifax and more in heaven, more of heaven in New Brunswick and in this region. That's what it is. It's about getting in the flow of what God is doing. Hear this God has life for us, God's desire is to prosper us. The question is, will we trust? Will we get in that position? Will we dare to be the one who sows the seed instead of in scarcity, holds on to it? Those are the people who grow and bear much fruit. Why don't you stand with me? I'm gonna pray for you. Ben, you can come back and we'll sing. But Father, we thank you today that your word is true. And Lord, I just wanna confess that this is hard for us. It's hard for me. It's hard for for us in the moment where it seems like I can have this fruit right now and I can see it and I can touch it and I can taste it and I can feel it. Lord, it's hard for us to to deny ourselves in the moment and plant seed of faith because Lord, it's just hard to, to to do that waiting game and to wait for the soil to do its work. And so Lord, I just pray for grace right now over us as a church and over our lives to be able to in this season Really believe your invitation, Jesus, when you said, I have come, that you would have life and have it more abundantly. And that God, we would trust you at your word and we'd really start putting you to the test. Not just with our thoughts, not just with our mindset, but with our actions and our values and our treasures and our time. We'd actually start cultivating a life that is like a man who is planted, he's like a tree beside streams of living water who who bears fruit in its season, whose leaf does not wither. In all that they do, they prosper, and that we would stand righteous in the judgment known by you. And so Father, thank you for this word of truth today. And I pray you give us the equipment and the mindsets to, to, to help cultivate a life that transforms not just ourselves, not just our families, but regions. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord of life, seed of Abraham, the one who bore our tree, who hung on the tree, the one who died and rose again in victory, the the firstborn, the seed that is the firstborn of a new creation. And as we come to the tree ourselves, Lord, that new creation bursts forth out of us. God, I ask that you'd help us confront the lies of our culture, that tell us that life is found in this thing or that thing and in this place or that place, and I gotta go get it. I gotta get it into me, Lord, that that life is actually something you wanna deposit. You have deposited. You wanna bring forth out of us. Lord, I pray you'd you'd awaken dreams and destiny in us, Lord. God, for the ones who have given up and they think that their best days are behind them, Lord, I pray that they would see that anything is possible with you And that God, our best days are yet to come, and that there could be still time for us to still make our best contribution for Your glory and for this region yet to come. And so, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Pray You deposit it in our hearts and help us live it out this week. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, "Amen." Hey, we hope you enjoyed the message today. If you want to stay up to date, go ahead and click subscribe to follow us on YouTube. And hey, if you want to partner with us in getting these messages farther, you can go to our website and find out ways that you can give and help us get the good news of Jesus further than ever before.